Hi everyone. Before we get started today, I want to talk to you about our newest partner, BetterHelp. Throughout my own grieving process, I have found therapy to be critical in getting me to the point where I am today, and I truly cannot imagine getting through this past year without it. Uh, a lot of the world is still in some sort of quarantine or phased opening, and BetterHelp is a perfect platform for accessing therapy during this time because you can do it from wherever you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist, and you can have your first session scheduled in as little as 24 hours, which is huge. I know for a lot of people, you hit a roadblock in starting therapy because there's a pressure to really find the right fit. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. It's really easy to change a counselor if you feel like you want a better fit. The therapist you're matched with is available weekly, but you can send messages anytime through the app and get responses between sessions, which makes such a big difference, especially when you are processing a loss. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and they also have financial aid available, which I love and is one of the reasons that I decided to partner with them. We have a special offer for the Grief Coach listeners where you'll get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com slash thegriefcoach. That's T-R-Y-B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash The Grief Coach. You can join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of experienced professionals. Investing in yourself is so important. If you've listened to any of the previous episodes, you know how much I prioritize doing the work to get through the grief process and BetterHelp is a wonderful platform to leverage to do so. Go to trybetterhelp.com slash the grief coach to get started. Hi everyone. Welcome to the grief coach. This is your host, Brooke James. If you've listened to us before, welcome back. And if you're new, I'm so glad you're here. Today, I am really excited. We have Shira Gill with us. Shira, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here today. I'm so happy you're here. Uh, Shira is a coach and a professional home organizer and stylist, and we are going to focus most of our conversation today around how to clean out a house or a space after someone has passed. But before we get into the meat of that conversation, where I think we'll have a lot to get into, um, Shira, if you can just introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, and give the audience a sense of what's going on. Sure. So I, as you mentioned, I am a coach and professional home organizer. I've been helping people edit and organize their homes for over 10 years now. I lead virtual programs where I teach my process and I'm also writing a book that will come out in fall of 2021 called Minimalista that merges home organizing um, and minimalism and life coaching. Basically, my mission is always to help people streamline their homes and simplify their lives. So I had helped already, I guess, hundreds of people when my father unexpectedly died eight years ago, which kind of leads us into the conversation today because I think professionally I had helped so many people 
kind of thoughtfully edit their homes and, you know, including things that they had inherited from loved ones. So I had that professional toolkit, but had really never navigated it myself until my father died. My dad was from Brooklyn, New York, and all of his family still lives in New York. And at the time of his death, I was the only family member living in the Bay Area in California. And so I was kind of tasked with cleaning out his entire home and deciding what to keep, what to sell, what to get rid of going through that whole ordeal. So I think that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Yes. And similarly with me, my sister and I, one of my sisters, we are co-executors. We were co-power of attorney, healthcare, all of that. And we were the ones who cleaned his house out last summer. And we did have some help from other family members, but it's a really, really big undertaking that you don't really think about until you have to do. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I had, the thought had really never occurred to me, like having Mm -hmm. that responsibility. And I have one sibling, my brother is much younger than me. So when my um, father passed away, my brother was only 19 and he was in college in New York. And I really didn't want to drag him back to California to deal with it. So, Mm -hmm. and at the time for me, I had a baby and a toddler and we were living in kind of a modest size two bedroom apartment, Mm -hmm. but the house that my dad lived in, he was single when he died, but he had a pretty large three bedroom home with a basement and a garage and an office and So it definitely felt really daunting when I realized that this was now my job to sort all of this out. (laughs) Yeah. I I remember like for me when I was starting the podcast and I like made a whole list of all of these different topics I wanted to cover. And one of them was how to clean out your childhood home when you live in a studio. And I think now like so many people who are, in like our generation live in cities they live in modest apartments like most people don't have huge homes with basements and attics that they can then take all of these like possessions to so that adds a whole nother layer of complexity Totally. And I think, you know, in my case, in a strange way, having the constraint of a smaller home made it a little bit easier for me because Mm -hmm you know, I have kind of a minimalist philosophy for the way I've chosen to live and set up my life. And so then the idea of bringing in someone else's three bedroom home into my own home, it was just physically impossible. And so in a weird way, having the the physical constraint of being in a small space kind of forced me to make some plans around limits. And Mm -hmm. that was one of the most helpful things for me. When I initially embarked on this process, a lot of the advice that I was receiving from people around me was like, it's too soon, don't do it. You're still in shock and grief. But for me, I think I just needed to stay in action. And so Mm -hmm. actually having this big project was kind of helpful for my 
I guess, grieving process to feel like I just had to keep moving and making decisions felt good and empowering to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you experience that way. too? Yeah, totally. I like lived and died by my to-do list and <laughs> loved the, not love, that's wildly the wrong word, but really like it kept me able to move forward to have a project. So I definitely can relate there. Yeah. So I think like when I embarked on the project, my, my brain was like, okay, we need a plan. <laughs> We're getting out like a notebook and a computer. And yeah. it really helped to like orient my brain to just have something concrete to do. And so the first thing I did, you know, I met with my brother, obviously, because my dad, I guess in our case, it was fairly simple. It was just me and my brother. And he just left everything to us to divide 50, 50. And my brother is also a minimalist. So he gave me a list of like a few basic things that he wanted. And luckily we wanted different things. So in yeah. his case, he wanted my dad's books and music collection. So that was super easy to just box up and put aside right away for him. And then, you know, one of the rules I made for myself and I found rulemaking very helpful mm -hmm. during this process was instead of just kind of drowning in like the overwhelm and the paradox of choice, I decided early on, okay, I need a physical limit and I need some rules. And so the thing that helped me the most was, as I mentioned at the time, we didn't have, we didn't own our own home and we didn't have a basement or garage or much storage beyond a small storage closet. So I basically decided I'm going to get six of those big airtight weatherproof bins and mm -hmm. that's going to be my boundary. And I'm going to get all of the things that matter most to me that fit in those bins and then they're going to go in our storage closet. And so mm -hmm. that decision really, I guess, empowered me. It made me feel like I had some control in this seemingly horrible um, sure, yeah. situation. And the other thing I did right away, which I cannot kind of recommend highly enough for people going through this process was I brought in a friend who was totally neutral and she wasn't a family member. She really had no attachment to what I kept, what I didn't keep, what I did. She just wanted to be there to support me. Yeah. And so the first time we went to my dad's house, which I think was the most overwhelming for me, was just simply to set foot in his house after he had died. She called me and just said, I'll go with you. It makes me emotional just thinking about it because it was, I think, the kindest thing that anyone did was mm -hmm. just simply saying, I will keep you company and I don't have to talk. I don't have to give advice. I just want to physically be by your side when you do this. And so, you know, we kind of together just walked through the house and took some notes and we didn't do any of the work that first visit. And that was really helpful. That was actually my friend's suggestion. She said, why don't we just survey the scene and like walk through, see what's there, see what the scale and the scope of this is mm -hmm. and let it you know, marinate. Honestly, I think that was the, the most important part of the process was just to have somebody and to go. And then once we saw what we were dealing with, it was then easy to make a plan, which for my family was basically, I gave myself 
a time frame of I'm going to spend the next few weeks going through the house with my bins and I'm going to take out the things that have value to me. I'm going to take out the things my brother wants. I'm going to check in with my family in New York. My dad had three siblings when he died and see what they want. And after that, I'm going to have an estate sale. And that was like, I had no idea about any of this world before, but it was, I think, learning that there actually is someone who will hold a sale and take care of everything. And literally, like, I could leave the house with the things that were important to me and let this woman, you know, have a private sale, sell the things that were valuable to other people. And then she told me she would donate anything that wasn't taken. That felt so liberating and like such a gift to me at the time to not have to have all of those logistics. Right. And I think that's something that, again, until you're dealing with it, you don't even know like people will do that. But that is huge. We didn't actually end up using someone like that. I had had conversations with him earlier of like, if I can only have like three things in this house, it's these three things. And I got those, of course, but my siblings and I, in his will, he left everything to the four of us. I had started to, I made a spreadsheet because like I thrive on a spreadsheet and (laughs) asked all of my siblings of like, what do you want? And everyone like said what they wanted. And I had my brother come in and like do a walkthrough and because like my sisters and I were, we knew pretty much. And then started to ask other family members of like, what is meaningful to you in this house? It was the house where Christmas was. It was the house where all holidays were. We had a pool. So like during the summer, we had a lot of people over and family events, what have you. And so started to ask people and like, he did have some things that were like his parents, et cetera. It it was kind of interesting to see what did people want. And that was like kind of fun. One thing that I do want to be sure we address and we can do it right now or or we can see where it comes up later in the conversation. But what advice do you have for people who end up having arguments with family members like grief and loss is already so emotional. And I think sometimes these conversations about who gets what, especially if there's things with like really strong sentimental value, which like we had some of that in our family and high monetary value, like Mm -hmm. what advice do you have? Because ideally these conversations are had beforehand and it's all spelled out in a will. Um, That is oftentimes not the case unless someone is very organized. I think some families where there's a lot of like antiques and artwork, like my grandma's had us go through and be like, what do you want? So it's spelled out in her will, but I don't think most families are doing that. So do you have any advice of what you observed in helping people clean out things and cleaning their homes out, but would love to hear a professional uh, take? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess luckily I'm typically working with clients once they're past, you know, the resolution point with their mm-hmm. family and just yeah. dealing with what they've chosen or inherited. It's such a tricky thing. And I think it's, it's very common to have huge family flare ups, you know, over material things or things of value. The main thing I can just say that I had to remind myself, like there were only one or two items that 
you know, I wanted and another family wanted just purely on sentimental value, not even monetary value. It helped me to kind of do a gut check and think, you know, A, this is just a thing. It's an object. It's not my dad. It's not my dad's memory. That's accessible to me whenever I want in my brain, in my heart. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, it really is just stuff. And I guess my kind of guiding principle is that people are always more important than things and stuff. It can be so tricky and so fraught with emotion, but I guess for me at the end of the day, it feels cleanest to focus on preserving the relationship instead of fighting for the thing in question. Yeah. But you know, I think, you know, everyone has to kind of do their own gut check around their personal values and, you know, history and relationship with the people and the things to decide on what feels right. And ultimately you just want to like your reasons for whatever you choose to do, you know, but I think, you know, you're right. There's so many people that don't get organized before um, they pass away and, and their families are left with these very difficult decisions. So I think having some sort of, you know, family meeting, making kind of a framework for how you want it to be fair or diplomatic or equitable, I think is really helpful. You know, before I, you know, put a finger on anything in my dad's house, I did call my brother to check in because he was, you know, the most important person and was going to be sharing in this process. And then I also called everyone from my dad's siblings to like my godmother or some of his best friends who wanted really interesting things that actually it was like helpful for me to learn more about their relationship with my father and what things were important things I never would have thought of. He had some walking sticks and someone who always took hikes with him thought that that would be really meaningful. And so in a way, like this process of cleaning out his home was really impactful because I got to know him through his things and through other people's relationships to those things. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of a a positive that came from it. Yeah. I think that is a really like in this sadness, you can find like beautiful moments. And I, that's, I think like a controversial thing for some people to hear, but I really do believe that. And I think that going through and getting to understand more about the person you lost relationship with other people as you're going through and cleaning out their space is like a really unique way to get to know um, someone. And even just going through and finding old letters and what did they keep? Like (laughs) what is a, it's an interesting window into someone. Totally. Like for me, I mean, my dad had a basement and luckily, you know, he was, on the more organized, more minimal side, but he still had a fair amount of stuff. But it was so interesting to see the things that were in his memento bins. And that did kind of help inform my choices. I made the decision early on, anything that's just a thing I'm donating. Mm -hmm. So mugs and furniture and glassware, that's literally just a thing that's not personal to my dad that was from Crate and Barrel or Ikea, I'm going to let that go. But anything that is deeply personal to him, so he had letters from his time in the Peace Corps in Nigeria and, Mm -hmm. you know, these old 
black and white photos and yearbooks and like the book he had written. And so that really guided me and, and mm -hmm. kind of simplified the process to say like anything that like was my dad's that my dad like wrote or created, that's what I want to hang on to. And luckily all of those things did fit easily into the the six the bins yeah. that I had made as my guideline. And then the rest, I just made that decision. It's just stuff. It's a coffee mug. It's a coffee table. So I interesting because I had like really the opposite feeling mm. and like I have kind of a lot of stuff anyway. Like you could probably <laughs> have a field day helping me clean out my <laughs> apartment, but I wanted to keep everything he touched and really had a hard time getting rid of some stuff. And I live in a 400 square foot studio. So my siblings and I, we have a storage unit for some of the furniture because there's three of us who live in New York City in small right. apartments. My other sister lives out in Colorado, but like the stuff she wanted was like small and compact. There's three of us splitting a storage unit with artwork, with furniture, with just like stuff, but also platters. My dad really was like a host and an entertainer. Mm. So yeah. I wanted his kitchen stuff. I wanted his bar stuff for one of like, that was, we spent a lot of time together, like entertaining. And then also he had a lot of really nice stuff that I will hopefully not be in a 400 square foot studio for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. Like, will want like, yeah. these beautiful platters, this beautiful barware, whatever it was. So I think it's like, it's so interesting that both of us, I think gravitated more to our personalities of our philosophy around things. Yeah. I think that's something that really people do when they are cleaning out a space. And so 100%. like, I, yeah, like <laughs> I took artwork, I took all of his cookbooks, a lot of his coffee table books, like some of the like nice blankets and like linens. Like mm. I have so much stuff of his in my <laughs> apartment. <laughs> Um, well, I have to say, I think my dad made it a little easier on me because he didn't have very good taste. <laughs> like, it's funny listening to you because I'm like, oh, I would not have wanted any of my dad's platters. <laughs> oh, so funny. Yeah, it made it a lot. I mean, me and my brother even joked about it. Like, it's a good thing he had terrible taste because nobody has to try to get a storage unit for this. Um, <laughs> So, and even like his art, like we didn't have the same taste, you know? And yeah, so yeah. I think the things that like the most precious thing to me that is actually one of the only things I have displayed in my home is he had this recipe for homemade, like gourmet mac and cheese that he would make us. It literally has like grease stains on it. And I framed it and that it just reminds me of oh, I love that. my favorite part of my dad and like yeah. this treasured memory. But what's interesting now, I'm eight years in, so he died eight years ago. I kind of went through this process of going through his home, you know, plucking out the things that had value, putting them in these bins. The next year, my family bought a home. And so we have a very tiny kind of postage size basement where I put these six bins. And I realized this year that I hadn't touched them, that it had been eight years. and even the idea of going through them felt very emotional to me. And so yeah. I just wanted to mention that, that I think, you know, everyone has a different process and you've got to respect where you're at. And 
So for me, it was like my initial instinct was like, I'm all in, I'm going through everything, like let's get it done. That was what I needed to do. I needed to be busy and in action and making decisions. Once I had done that and made the decisions and put the bins in my basement, I couldn't, it was like too much. I could not yeah. go through them, look at them, go through the old letters. It just felt paralyzing. And it was really recently this year, I, I launched a course to teach people how to organize their homes. And everybody in this course picked a project. And since my home is so like OCD organized, I was thinking like, what can I pick that I can do with everyone? And I thought about my basement and, and it was still paralyzing. Like, yeah. And yeah. I wanted to do it and I wanted to be ready. And I was like, I can't do it. A few months later, I kind of tiptoed down there and there was one picture of my dad in the Peace Corps that I loved and treasured. And I decided that I wanted it in my home and not like shoved in this dusty bin. Mm -hmm. So I kind of forced myself to go down and get the picture. And, and so it's just like baby steps. Like I was ready to do that. I was ready to have a picture of him in my home that I see all the time that reminds me of him in a really positive way. But I just want to emphasize, like it took me eight years um, yeah. to just be ready for that small step. We like are really polar opposites on our strategies. So I'm like <laughs> concerned. I'm a big like picture person and on I, my bookshelves are kind of like styled and like framed stuff and like some plants and whatever but I have like a lot of pictures and then in my little entryway I have like a magnet board that has photos on it and I'm like oh does it look like I have like a shrine to my dad <laughs> <laughs> like because I have, and like I had pictures up of us like obviously when he was alive but like there's a few more and like I counted and it's actually like it's evenly distributed between both of my parents um, nice. so it's like not as weird as I thought but I, was, right. like, I was like oh is this weird that like I want to put up like all of this stuff and then I'm like and I was talking to one of my friends about it a couple months after we had like finished cleaning out the house and she's like, well, you'll put up a lot now. And then like, eventually like you'll redecorate and you might move some, or you might like put some in a box or like a memory box or like whatever it is. And she's like, but right now, like you seeing him is like, that's important for you. And like, that's okay. And like, I have like the canister I have, like we didn't bury all of his ashes. My brother and I like kept some. So like I have his ashes in a canister and I have like a drawing someone did of him. He loved grappa. And so like one of his like really beautiful shot glasses I have up and it's just like, but I do think and worry of like, is this too much? And so I do want to just like a note to listeners of like hearing both Shira's and I's like very different approaches to this and like mementos and whatever it is, like there's no wrong answer. And like right. what, whatever you need and is going to like help you is what is important and what the course of action should be. A hundred percent. I mean, there's no, that's the thing with this process and the whole grieving process is there is no one size fits all. There's no formula. There's no weird. There's no wrong. Like I had people who were appalled at how little I kept yeah. and I just had to like, 
do my thing and, and check my gut and make sure I felt like it was the right thing for me. I remember Googling like how to grieve and what to keep and looking for others to answers and, and nothing was resonating. And then yeah. ultimately it was like, well, what feels good to me? I remember thinking like, it's kind of sad that I don't have pictures of my dad in my house, but I just, I couldn't, like it was too much. It felt like yeah. it was just spark like a never ending sea of grief for me. Mm -hmm. But now I look at this picture every day and it makes me happy and it makes me feel good. Yeah. And I'm clearly in a very different point in terms of my grieving process now. When we were cleaning out my dad's house, my sister has two children who last summer were nine and 11. I remember with my nephew who was 11 being like, what do you want? Uh, they were so close with my dad. And mm -hmm. so I, I was like, do you want anything? And so we kind of talked about like, what would he want and why? And like having to explain it to a little kid was really interesting. My stepdad's dad had also died last year and he took the cast iron pot and every morning when he makes his eggs, he has like a moment with his dad. Oh. And like, I that's like so beautiful. And like my nephew ended up taking my dad wore these like hats, like kind of old school. And so he took one of them and put it up on his wall in his bedroom on a nail. So like he has his little like thinking about my dad and he also like took some other stuff, took it and like we put stuff in storage for them. But it is like at the end of the day, it's just when, when you're going through and picking what you want, I think of like what is a touchstone that will make you kind of have a moment to like respect the relationship you had with them. And so what we were talking about earlier of what people want kind of gives you insight into what their relationship was. I think it's the same thing, what you can do like and bring it into your home that will help honor that relationship. I don't know if yes. I said that super articulately, but I, <laughs> no, no, I, totally. <laughs> I mean, I think, and I told you an anecdote the first time we talked, I had heard a story about someone who had lost their mom and they only had one necklace of hers. That was their only memento. But I think it was imbued with so much meaning and importance because it was this one thing instead of like a hundred necklaces or mm -hmm. an entire closet. And so I guess for me, I'm always thinking about the value of stuff and, and how it relates to people and meaning and experiences. And it may be, you know, a personal thing or a generational thing. I know for my mom, she feels like things spark so much meaning and memory for her. And I typically feel like I have all of that without the stuff that mm -hmm. there's only a few things that, you know, when I went through my dad's, I think his house was about 1800 square feet. And it was like, I could count on one hand, the things that really felt like they sparked a specific memory that I kind of relied on seeing that thing. Otherwise, I felt like I could kind of conjure up thoughts and meanings uh, about my dad whenever I wanted. And so that's like an interesting thing to think about too, is that for some people having like a physical touchstone is so important and for others, it just isn't. And it's just like a, a difference in values or belief system. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. 
both ways are right. And I really want to just like underscore that because I do think like, especially the actual like act of the cleaning out, if we can talk about that, like my sister was like, she was like, all right, we're just getting rid of this stuff. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, I want to look through every single box of paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> and she yeah. was like, you can do that. <laughs> but right. like, she just wanted to like move it out. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then when we did go through boxes, I was so happy to like find letters. I found my mom and dad met through business And so like the first lunch they had in my mom, she always jokes that like her mom is Miss Manners. So like she (laughs) sent in, I found the note that she sent to my dad, like thanking for their lunch. And so I was like, glad I got to go through that and then found randomly in a box, my dad interned for um, Ivan Dimitri. He did a lot of etching work, Mm -hmm. but found exhibit that was in the Metropolitan Museum of like, a wow. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. So <laughs> I think like, I'm really glad that I, I did go through all of the boxes, but it's exhausting. And yeah. I was lucky I do consulting for small businesses and so could work remote. And so I was out at the house and it was like a three month endeavor for my mm-hmm. sister and I to be going through all of this. I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying it's easy to be going through things, but also right. how you can encourage people while they're still alive. So my parents are divorced and my mom saw all of this happening last year and she came and helped, which was amazing. She joked like how many people move out of the same house twice. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but she now, and like as part of her quarantine projects, she goes through a box in the basement every day and gets rid of stuff. And yeah. So if you could talk a little bit about that, because that's something you encourage people to do is like pick items that are important to them it to keep in their home. But how do you encourage people to be getting rid of things? Yeah. So I think it is, you know, in my work with people, I've seen there's really two different personality types. There's people who once they get started kind of editing and organizing, they just get, they catch fire and they just want to keep going and they actually can stay energized and kind of do more of a boot camp style. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think typically most people get really burnt out after even a couple of hours, especially when you know you're negotiating through stuff that is connected with someone you loved and cared about. It's like yeah. even that much more of a difficult process. Yeah. My kind of generic advice is like two to three hour blocks is usually enough time where you can really make a dent, but then not get exhausted or drained or too overwhelmed. But of course, it's always about respecting your personal limits. So like the first time I went to my dad's house, I think we were there for 45 minutes just doing this walkthrough and kind of taking it in. And that was it. That's what I could do that day. Then after that, you know, my process was two to three hour chunks and I would bring the same friend with me her name's Amber and Amber and I would just go to the house and pick a little area, like a little micro area, or we would just pick a category like music. Let's just round up all the music and that's what we're doing. And so that made it much more manageable. And so kind of my big advice here is just one drawer at a time. And then if you feel like you want to keep going, then hit up another drawer but try to not tear up an entire room and then 
get overwhelmed and feel like you've created a mess and now you have to leave. So yeah, I think um, that's great advice. It's really like pick a shelf, pick a drawer or pick a category. You know, that was helpful for me. We kind of broke it into those like Marie Kondo type categories (laughs) of like, we're going to do clothes today, or we're going to do just the kitchen items today. And it makes it easier for your brain to wrap around. Like we're just focusing on this one thing and then we're going to leave. And I would always schedule something nice for myself afterwards, even if it was just like a nap or a walk or something that felt good because it's, it can be really draining and really intense to do this. And so I think you really want to prepare yourself, bring in support, make, you know, the time manageable for where you're at and then take a breather and do something kind for yourself. I love that advice because it was so exhausting. And I remember like, my brother, like he came and did his room and he's like, all right, I'm done. It's like, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) it's like a 3,500 square foot house. I was like, we aren't, you're not done. But then I was going out a lot more because he was like working. But last summer or September, I was like, I need you to come because we need to go through the Christmas stuff that's going to be terrible for me. I'm like, I need you to be with me. So I would also like give the advice to people of like knowing and respecting how emotional certain categories, I guess, could be. And so to be sure that you either are bringing in a friend like you did or like a family member, so you're not doing it alone because it compounds the loss and like makes it real to be getting rid of things. And to really respect what do you need? And so is that bringing someone, is that scheduling a nap? Is that scheduling a walk? Whatever it is to give yourself emotional space to process going through all of this. And I just want to mention, we both, I guess, had the luxury of having kind of our own time frame and I have had many clients and, and people who have to do this in a much more quick rushed way because of financial constraints or needing to sell a house or any number of things. And so I think one piece of advice that I would give there, if you really don't have the luxury of time is just going in with like a post-it or like painter's tape and marking all of the things that you just intuitively feel called towards. That really helped me because I knew we needed to sell my father's home and have this estate sale. And so my process was somewhat expedited because of that. And I think it really helped to like arm myself with some supplies and really go in and make the decisions and put like tape or post-its for the things that I wanted or the things that other people wanted. Mm -hmm. And then for me, having someone host an estate sale and we had someone else who was coordinating donation pickup made it so that that was taken off my shoulders and it actually made the process very, very efficient. So I think just for those people that don't have, you know, months to really go through and cull, I think sometimes you have to just trust your gut and banish guilt and banish feelings of doing it wrong and really just go with, you know, these are the things I love the most that fit in my house. And I'm just going to trust that I'm doing it right. Right. I love that you brought up that 
people were coordinating this on your behalf. And one of the things I talk about in one of the earlier episodes is like, I hated when people were like, let me know how I can help. Because <laughs> I had to then think, okay, well, how much effort, time or money is behind that question? And so my advice to people who are grief adjacent is the term that I used is to just offer help. Like if you can, and I would say to people, because I'm super blunt, people would be like, "What (laughs) what do you need? And I would be like, if you can think of something helpful, just be helpful. What advice I would give to people who are not going through this now or to just like put in their back pocket for future friends or like loved ones who are grieving is to make that offer of, can I coordinate Salvation Army for you? Can I coordinate an estate sale person for you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Or even just do the research. I remember when I was feeling completely paralyzed and not really knowing how people could help me. And I was taking on too much and doing everything. My mom just said, would you like me to do some research? And I was like, oh yes, I would. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So she actually found the number for the estate person and could tell me like the basic brass tacks of how that worked. And found the guy with the truck that could pick up the library books that my dad wanted to have donated to our local library. Mm -hmm. I think even just offering to do research for someone and get those helpful resources and kind of present them with their options can be so valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that is super important for people to take and um, apply to a future situation like this. I feel like we could like keep going for a lot longer, but I want to be respectful of your time. Do you have any last advice um, that you want to share with people? Gosh, I think, I mean, the only thing since I'm on both sides of this, right, as like a child who's lost a parent and, and now as a parent, thinking about my own kids one day inheriting my stuff. One thing that I try to be mindful of is just making it easy on the people I love for one day, mm-hmm. which sounds so morbid, but I think that's how I talk just, about it too. So I'm yeah. <laughs> okay. Just, you know, like there's a few little things I'll just quickly mention, like just having your important documents organized and in one clear place. That was something that I was lucky enough when my dad died, he had like one little neat file cabinet. And so I could find his will and his trust and his financial docs. And that took such a burden off me to not have to go through a hundred dusty bins in a attic. And then also just curating your own mementos. And we've kind of touched on it. So interesting to see what is important to people once they're gone. I really want my kids to not be burdened with a tremendous, you know, overstuffed basement garage attic that they have to navigate. So those are little things that feel empowering for me to do now to have like mm-hmm. one or two memento bins with really the most meaningful things to me that then one day when they have them, it can be like a touchstone and something that is meaningful to them instead of overwhelming. That's at least my hope. Yeah, I think that's great advice. All right, well, thank you so much. I think this is such an important conversation and I hope that listeners think that this is important and you gave really great advice. So thank you so much. Do you wanna tell people 
where to find you online. So the easiest is you can find me on my website. Just my name is shiragill.com or on Instagram at shiragill. Okay, perfect. And then people should keep an eye out for your book that's coming next year. Yes. So my book Minimalista will be out with Penguin Random House fall of 2021. Perfect. All right. Thank you again. Thank you everyone for listening. You can find us on social at the underscore grief coach or www.thegriefcoach.co. If you could leave us a nice review in the Apple podcast store that helps other people who are looking for content like this find us. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon.